All right, everybody hear me? Can you all hear me back there? Clear, clear back, whoa, whoa, there we go. Now you can hear me. Well, today is the last day. For those of you who are just uh, joining us today, we're, we're just thrilled that you're here and, and joining us, and I, I hope you'll hang with us to the end after we get done with the service. We'll go over here into the swimming pool and uh, we'll watch some folks cheer on some folks as they're being baptized, and then the, the guys and gals over here are, uh, I can't smell it yet, but they're, they've been cooking and gathering stuff since 7 o'clock this morning to, uh, to feed us lunch. There was a guy by the name of George Sodini. He was 48, and he had a schedule for the LA Fitness Center at his residence with the, quote, Latin Impact Aerobics class marked. You may not remember this, it was back in 2009, he targeted this aerobics class, said Allegheny County Police Superintendent Charles Moffat. He had this class circled on a schedule in his home. But oddly, Sodini had no relationship with any of the women he gunned down during the Tuesday night rampage that left three dead and nine injured before Sodini killed himself. In his diary, Sodini spoke of his struggles with alcoholism and listed his date of death as August 4th, 2009, the day of the massacre. He listed his status as never married, and he, corrector, and he characterized himself as a, as a depressed loner with no way out of his misery other than death. And he must have blamed other people as he sought to end more than just his own life because he took others' lives as well. He thought he had no way out and that his only choice was death. He had lost all hope. The biggest problem of all, he said in one of his journal entries, is not having relationships or friends, but not being able to achieve and acquire what I desire in those or many other areas. Everything, he said, stays the same regardless of the effect of the effort I put in. If I had control over my life, then I would be happier, but for about the past 30 years, I have not. A Gallup poll report said that believing in something bigger than oneself may allow, may allow some people to hold on to life in a world where people without such a belief sometimes gives up all hope. And that is especially true if that thing that you are putting your hope in is real, and is your creator and your savior. I think now where our world is, vision might be the most desperate thing that we need. There are no hopeless situations, only people who think hopelessly. Let me repeat that. There are no I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where your life has been in the last weeks, months, years. But you're here for a reason. You're watching for a reason today. God wants to tell you something. Let me repeat that. There are no hopeless situations. In Jesus Christ, there is always hope. Always. Jesus, the son of David, is a title that was given to David, or that was given to Jesus 
in the New Testament. But why the son of David? Why is he referred to as the son of David? I'm going to answer that question this morning by looking at two aspects of Jesus' identity and mission. First of all, the title given to Jesus, the son of David, is a title of hope. It is a title of hope. God gave his covenant love to David. We see it in the Psalms. Over and over, we see it in 1 Samuel. God anointed David. God describes David as a a man after his own heart. In verse 28 of Psalm 89, God says, I will maintain my love to him, David, forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. David had hope in God because God gave it to him. God also promises that one of David's descendants would establish the kingdom. That points to Jesus. Additionally, God promised through his prophet Nathan to David that David's kingdom and throne would endure forever. That it would endure forever. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. You see, the son of David is possibly the supreme title of hope of any Israelite. You see, the first king, Saul, he couldn't keep the kingdom together. It was divided. It was a divided kingdom during his reign. The second king, who was David, David restored the kingdom of Israel. He freed them from their enemies, and they experienced an unprecedented time of peace and prosperity under the leadership and reign of King David. The third king, one of David's sons, Solomon, his reign ended with the kingdom divided again. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. So how could God say that the kingdom, that that kingdom, that the line of David is going to, to, that his reign is going to go on forever if, if it's divided Centuries of exile and oppression followed Solomon's reign, which was the case all the way up to when Jesus came. There was only one time when the nation of Israel experienced experienced peace and was unified, and it was during the reign of David. It was called the Golden Age, and it was under King David. I heard a pastor one time talk about the nation or I heard a pastor one time talk about another kingdom. He said, there was another kingdom in our day, like in the last 20 years, that reigned. It was another golden age of unprecedented success. It flourished. And then, just like that, it was gone. It plunged into the abyss of darkness. You know what I'm talking about? You know what he was talking about? He was actually talking about the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, there was a day when NFL opponents came to Mile High Stadium and the presence of Elway appeared before them and the glory of Elway shone all around and they were sore afraid. But, when, but then when Elway left, the glory of Elway left with him. And now the Broncos' name is Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. You know, I know everybody's not a Broncos fan. Some people say, you still like the Broncos? And I said, yeah, I do. 
I remember the Craig Morton days, so if you're old enough to remember that, you know how long. Husker fans are now understanding what it's like to be a Broncos fan. Right? People talked like that. I mean, people reminisced about the glory days. How many of us haven't reminisced about the glory, in day, glory days in reference to something? It was a sports team we were involved in when we were in high school or, I don't know, a youth group or, or a church somewhere or whatever. People reminisce about the glory days. What is the number one thing a Broncos fan today says? Oh, if we only had a good quarterback. Right? I mean, we... <laughs> I think every Husker fan might be saying that after yesterday, too. It's just a struggle. That's such a key position. Oh, there was Kubiak and Greasy and Ferrat and Plummer, and then Plummer got hurt. And you, remember, you remember back then? When the rumors started, then Berline took over. Berline got hurt, and Bubby Brister took over as quarterback. He didn't do so well, and the rumors got bigger and bigger and bigger. They were on the airwaves. They were on the Internet, the TV and people started to say back then, if only Elway would come back. And old Elway has to be better than what we've had. People reminisced about it. It was like hoping that Elway would come back. And then the glory returned for a couple years in the name of a man called Peyton Manning. Now that's happened before. I, I want to see a raise of hands. How many of you remember when Michael Jordan quit the NBA? Some of the younger kids are like, who is, who is Michael Jordan? I hear his name, you know, on ESPN every once in a while. Seriously, Michael Jordan was, I'm sorry, he was the greatest ba NBA basketball player who's ever lived. But uh, when he quit the NBA and played a little baseball with the White Sox AAA team, and then he came back to the NBA, and it just felt like the glory had been returned to the NBA. You re Does anybody remember how he announced his return, Michael Jordan? Anybody remember? What did he say? Two words. I'm back. That was it. I'm back. A and the hope of the NBA had returned, at least for a time. I, I don't know if it was really all that successful personally, but... See, by the end of the first century, the glory of Israel was completely gone. The glory of Israel had been gone for a long time, but hope wasn't lost. For God's promised hope is always a sure thing. We may have to be patient and, and wait for some time to go by, but God's promise of hope is always a sure thing. You see, the Messiah would come. The vine, the way, the truth, and the life, the holy lamb of God, the light and savior of the world, the root of Jesse, the hope of Israel would return and did. They said when the son of David returns, it will all be set 
right. The hope of Israel was that one day the king would, would return, and he did. It, it's a moving thing in the New Testament to see how the phrase son of David is used. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 says this, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David! You see, that was a cry of great hope. They called out with great faith. Verse 28 continues, When Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I, that I am able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. We see this title used again in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, we hear it again, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Again in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus. That is, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't crying out to anybody else. He knew that Jesus was special. He knew that Jesus could help him. He cried out in hope, Jesus, son of David. And what was Jesus' response? Verse 49 of Mark 10, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received sight and followed Jesus along the road. Why did they have hope? Why can we have hope today? 2,000 plus years later? Because Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. He came in a miraculous way. I can't wait for winter. And we can celebrate that. When he came, born to a virgin, he lived a perfect life, he was crucified, surrendered himself to death on a cross endured its pain and shame for you and for me. He was buried. He was dead. He died. And on the third day, he rose again. And, and to this day, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was divine. He is alive. He has the power to help. He has the power to heal. Jesus, the son of David, loves it when we cry out to him. He is never too busy. He's never preoccupied. His line never goes right to voicemail. He loves you. He loves to give people hope. We can cry out to him just like these folks in the New Testament. 
And we do that with prayer. We do that with our voices. In prayer, we communicate to him what we need, what burdens our hearts. It's the most, it's the most powerful thing that we can do. We can pray alone. We can pray with our family. You could pray with others here today if you chose to. You could pray with friends at a Bible study or even just get together over coffee and pray. We can at any time cry out to the Son of David, Jesus, for mercy and for hope. Think about this. What, what would you ask him for today? What would you cry out for today? Maybe, maybe you're single and you'd really like to be married. You'd really like to have a special someone to live the rest of your life with. I don't know what God has planned for you, but if that's something that, that you just desperately want, cry out to him and ask him. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's somebody that's watching us online this morning and they've been sick and, or they're trying to heal from a surgery. Maybe, maybe you just, just don't feel good and you haven't felt good for a long time. You're kind of tired of it. Why not today cry out to the son of David and ask him for help? Maybe you need sobriety. Cry out to the son of David, Jesus. Maybe it's emotional equilibrium. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe you're, just, you're just so frustrated and discouraged and fed up with whatever. Add, put whatever. Cry out. Why not cry out to Jesus today? Maybe you need peace in your life. Maybe you have lost hope. Maybe you feel like you're just holding on by a thread. Why not today, in your mind, at home, out loud, why not cry out, Son of David! Jesus, I need you. I want you. Help me. What would I cry out for our church? I would, I would cry out and do that people would be saved. The people that we know and that we rub shoulders with on a daily and weekly basis would, would see the truth about Jesus Christ and would surrender their life to him, would, would put their faith and trust in him and begin a growing relationship with him. I pray that we would be faithful, that you all would be faithful to God and what his word says, not what the world says, not what the world says his word says, not be discouraged against the enemy, but stand up and be faithful to God's word, no matter what the future would look like if you do that. I want to pause right now for just a moment in this very public place, and I want to give you a minute or two to cry out to, to Jesus, the Son of David, on your own right now. Give you just a, a, a minute or two of, 
of space on your own, just what would you cry out to the son of David for today? And, and just do that right now. Jesus, Son of David, we cry out to you today with the burdens that are on our hearts, the hurts that are in our minds and our souls, with anxiety and fear, brokenness. Son of David, give us hope. Help our minds to uh, overcome the deceitfulness of our hearts. That try to convince us that it's not worth it, that there is no hope. There is always hope in you, Jesus. Help us to trust you. Help those who are baptized today to continue on the journey of growing deeper in their knowledge of you and their trust in you and their faith in you and their humility before you. Lord, may we all hold to your word. And may that truth and may you as truth set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, Son of David, is a title of hope. The second, the, the second thing that that title describes is that Jesus. it's a title of humanity. It's a title of humanity. In Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul is talking about Jesus. He says, regarding his Son, who as to his human nature... Regarding God's Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Jesus is divine. He came in a divine way. He was divine 100% completely. And this is where it blows my mind because you see, Jesus was also 100% human. He got hungry. He had to go to the bathroom. He got tired. I don't know how that works. I'm not God. I just trust it. He was human. He was from the line of David. 
Now, I'm proud of my family heritage. I talk about my family all the time. Sometimes what goes around comes around in my family. Remember a story I told about my youngest daughter last week, all of you that were here? It didn't cross my mind, but I, was, I asked her later that afternoon, so have you listened to the sermon yet? She said, no. I said, I didn't think so. Because I'm sure she would have texted me if she had listened to it about that story. And I said, you remember about four weeks ago when you were giving me a really bad, a really bad time for mispronouncing a name of a certain actor during a sermon? I mean, they were relentless about that. I said, you know, what goes around comes around, right? Uh, I, I'm super proud of my family. And, and I enjoy looking back on occasion at our family tree. But there are some people who are just crazy about their family tree and about their heritage. Uh, they get a bit too carried away. They're, they're like obsessed with the history of their family, like this one family. It, there was a woman, she was putting together her family tree, and she too was proud of her family, and their ancestors had come to America on the Mayflower. Their line had included senators and pastors and Wall Street wizards, and they decided to compile a family history, a legacy for their children. So they hired a fine author to do the work, but there was a problem that arose. You see, they had an Uncle George that had been such a criminal that he ended up not only in prison, but actually was executed in the electric chair. And the family wasn't sure how to report that in their family history. But the author said, no worries. He could handle the section of history tactfully. So when the book appeared, the family turned immediately to the section on Uncle George. And there they read this. There was one George Smith. He occupied one of the most powerful chairs in one of our government's leading agencies. A chair of applied electronics. He was attached to his position with the strongest of ties. And his death came as a real shock. You see, in, in history, genealogy, genealogical stuff is very important. And sometimes, though, we think it's not really that exciting. How many of you, when you read the Christmas story, you skip over the first 25 verses of Matthew chapter 1? How many have even read completely the entire beginning of Matthew chapter 1, which is a what? Genealogy. Why? Why is it there? Because it's important. You see, to Jews, the family tree and genealogy was extremely important. And there are three things that all Jew Jewish genealogies contain. Three things. First of all, they only include Jews. This is a true Jewish genealogy. They only include Jews because it was important to have a pure Jewish bloodline. In ancient times, in fact, in order to be a priest, you had to prove the purity of your Jewish bloodline. Number two, the family trees only included men. Moms were not included. Putting your mom in the family tree for them would be like us putting our pet goldfish in. It was just irrelevant. It didn't matter in Jewish history. 
And number three, they never put down the name of a shady character. You just stayed away from having anyone with questionable character listed in your genealogy. You wanted history to look back on your family with pride. Which I want to add as a side note is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true and historical and real is because there, there, are, there isn't a leader or a hero in here who didn't fall, sin, struggle, have black decisions to their name. It's all laid out there for us in truth. Did you know that even Jesus himself would not have qualified as a priest? If you brought your Bibles with you this morning, or you have good cell service, please turn to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to look at this. Matthew chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, Matthew starts by saying, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This isn't just, you know, a list for history's sake. There is a reason and a purpose. Matthew put this in here. There, God had a reason and a purpose within the bloodline of King David and Jesus. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, this is not Tamar, daughter of David, but the daughter-in-law of Judah, and she was a Canaanite. So first of all, she's a woman in the genealogy. Second of all, she's not a Jew. She's a Canaanite in the genealogy. And thirdly, she incited this father-in-law into an incestuous relationship by dressing up as a prostitute and meeting him at a city gate. And her account is found in Genesis chapter 38. You can read that later. Not somebody that you would want in your genealogy, but she is. And she's identified. We read in verse 5, Salmon, the son of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She was one. Rahab was also a non-Jew, for she was from Jericho, and her story can be found in Joshua chapters 2 and 5. In the end of verse 5, we find Ruth, another woman, it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, also not a Jew. She was married to one, and then her husband died, and all of the brothers died, and she came to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth was a Moabite. And finally, we see in verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What is Matthew doing? Why has he included these Gentile women in the genealogy? Matthew, Matthew is saying, yes, 
Jesus was divine, but yes, he was also human, and he didn't come to seek and save only the Jews. He came for all people. He came for the human race. All of us. The whole fallen, sinful race. Not just the Jews. Everyone can be a part of this story. When we say yes to Jesus, the son of David, we are adopted into the family. He came for all of us. One of the greatest verses in the Bible about David is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It says this, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. And you might think, oh, that's, that's not a really great verse, Pastor David. No, it is a great verse. You see, David served his purpose. David did what God wanted him to as a man after God's own heart. Even in his weaknesses, even in his sin and his failures, David served God's purpose. In his moment, he served God. Well, this is our moment. This is your moment. This is my moment. We are living in this generation. Some of you here today may wish you weren't living in the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 and 2021, but you were, given by, you were given life by God when God wanted you to have life. For whatever reason, He wanted you here now. You were created in His image for what? For such a time as this. We can serve God in our... I mean, I, I want to say, why not us? Honestly, if we go down that other road, it, there's just discouragement and it gives the enemy a place. We have to recognize that we are alive today. We serve God. He has given us a mission. What is it? Let's do it. Because at the end of my life, that's what I want written about me. I wanted to say for David Anderson, after he served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was gathered to the Father. Those who are being baptized today, when Jesus called their name, they said, yes, I believe. I surrender. They believed they repented, and the blood of Jesus covers their sin. They have died to their sin and have been raised by the name of Jesus Christ. And today, they declare that publicly before all of us. Amazing, amazing thing when Jesus calls our name and we surrender our life to him. And we become a part of the kingdom. Life doesn't get easier, mind you. The storms still rage, but we have a solid anchor to hold on to. We have a vine to stay connected to and to continue to have hope. Baptism is a beautiful public declaration of salvation. It, 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 I mean, you don't really have to know much about Christianity and Jesus and the Bible to see, that, see what baptism represents. It, it, it represents 
being dead in our sin. It represents Jesus going into the grave. It represents Jesus coming out. and It, it, it represents us being purified. It doesn't literally do those things. It is a symbol of those things. And it says, I believe and I intend to follow Jesus the rest of my life. You see, because of who Jesus was and is, we have hope. We all experience difficult times. We've all probably been in those moments where we think, can I get through this, literally? Am I going to make it? But we look back and we see that we were able to get through that not because we were tough and we pulled ourselves up by our boots, but because we continued to surrender our life to Jesus Christ and He walked with us and He carried us through. We all need hope and that hope is found in Jesus, the Son of David. People, people today are afraid. There are... There are many things that you could be or may be afraid of today. What, whatever is weighing on your heart today, please cry out to Jesus, the son of David, and surrender it to him. him. Cry out to him to help you. See, I think maybe you were wondering if you wanted to come this morning and you decided maybe to come because it wasn't going to be ter terribly hot. Or maybe you weren't necessarily going to sign in and watch this morning, but for whatever reason, you just... You couldn't not. And you did. There's a reason for that. Jesus wanted you here today to hear this message, that you have hope. And if anything that the last year and a half has shown us, it's that it's only in Jesus Christ that we have hope. It's not in politics. It's not in leaders. It's not in states' powers. It's, it's not in city powers. It's not in personal and individual power or, or want or ability or money. None of that. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And, and if we're trying to put it somewhere else, we will get discouraged and we will lose hope because those things will always fail us. Always. As, as you read through the New Testament and you read the title, Jesus, the Son of David, in the future, May you remind yourself in those moments of this hope in Jesus. Fallenness and brokenness and pain and suffering and struggle and trials, they are all a part of this world. <laughs> it's been this way for a very, 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 very long time. And really, until Jesus returns, it's going to be this way. But it will not always be this way. My dad, Donald Victor Anderson, served his generation. Shoot, as far as my siblings and I are concerned, in my opinion, he raised two separate generations. I'm the youngest by 10 years. But his time is done and he's been gathered to the Father. David, son of Jesse, served his generation. His time is done, and he too was gathered to the Father. Jesus, the son of David, his time is not done. 
He is coming back. And someday the trumpet will sound and Jesus will say, I'm back. It could be next week. It could be next year. It could be in a thousand years. We don't know. It feels like it's going to be next week. But he will return. Just as he promised. And when he does, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. No more struggles and trials. No more sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I heard several people yesterday tell me, I can't believe it. My daughter's a junior in high school. It goes so fast. If time goes so fast, why do we hold on so tight to this world and wonder if we can ever get through it? Because really, it's only just a short time. But eternity is a really, really, really long time. And we can live it with Jesus with no more struggles, no more trials, no more sin. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. You know, until that day when Jesus Christ returns or until that day when we die and are gathered, let's serve God in our generation. Let's serve the purpose that he has for us. Let's seek him for that purpose. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says this. It's my last verse for the day. Revelation 22, Verse 16, if you're taking notes and you want to write that down. Jesus says this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. He's talking to John who, who recorded the book of Revelation. And then he says this. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. We have great hope when we trust our life to Jesus Christ as our Savior. I've just been thinking about names of Jesus all week long because of this, and it just has drawn me in and drawn me in to the truth and the reality that He is alive today and that He is my Savior. And we all can be in that same place. Jesus, Son of David, the one who gives us all hope. And, and I want us to, as we end the service now, we're going to praise the name of Jesus with two songs that specifically talk about Jesus. Think of the words, may they be true expressions of your heart as you sing them. And then after I pray, we're going we're gonna to all go over here and, you know, as many are willing, it's cool, it's not going to be too hot on the pool deck today. Um, I know there'll be a few of you still gather under the tree out here and look in, but uh, we'll all go through the doors on the north end of the pool and filter around. We'll do the baptism on the north end of the pool there in the, the three-foot section. For some of these folks today, this is a big deal. And, and by big deal, I mean they're getting out in front of all of us and declaring their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that He is their Savior. So every time we, uh, somebody comes up out of the water, I want all of Lingle, and it's possible. It's possible that all of Lingle can hear us cheer them as they declare their faith.
Let me pray again. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. And there are so many things and people and so much stuff in this world that wants to distract us from that truth. That you are divine, that you were human, that you came to save us, and that we have hope if we trust you. If we live for you, we have hope. And Lord Jesus, I know there are people that are just, their lives have been ripped apart. They're broken. They're hurting. And Jesus, may they see today that though it hurts like crazy, that there, there is still hope. Though we don't see it today, that they can trust you to restore their life, to restore their strength, to restore their soul. You are a wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 1, 19-20 Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in Him. And He reconciled all things to Himself through Him. Whether things on earth or in the heavens, He brought peace through the blood of His cross.